Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome back to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, uh, we have took a little break at the end of 2018, which turned into a slightly longer break than we anticipated. Indeed. Uh, it's not because we're lazy. What? <laughs> right. Okay, let me rephrase that. We are lazy, but that's not the reason why we were so delayed. Do you want to tell people what, what kind of set us back a little bit? Yeah, we both decided to train to become uh, astronauts and head off to Mars on a new mission, but unfortunately that didn't work out, so we're back doing a podcast. Yeah, you know, I mean, career goals, but sometimes things just don't just don't happen. Okay, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> no, uh, it, uh, what happened was I got hit with a very bad cold. It's probably one of the most dreadful colds that anyone's ever had, ever. <laughs> yes. In all of all of history. But uh, that, that knocked me out for a bit. And then Mike decided to go and get it because he just felt like, you know, keeping up with me. Yeah. So uh, both sides of the Atlantic have been hit by a cold. Uh, but now we're, we're all fighting <coughs> fighting fit <coughs> and all all well and good. And you'll barely notice that we've still got a little bit of a cough and a cold. Yeah. Yeah. It hit in consecutive weeks, too. So we were all set to record our first episode of the year. And then Phil got sick. And so we, we kept pushing it back and pushing it back a couple of days. And then it was like, all right, we'll just do it next week. And then I got hit with the flu and that took me out for an entire week. And so, uh, before you know it, here we are, it's, it's probably it's February by the time this episode gets re- uh, released. So, uh, apologies for the delay, but thank you for sticking around. And, uh, we are glad to be back. Yes. We should all be all fine and dandy. I'm back to being the healthy Greek gods that we are. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, well, maybe Dionysus or... Right, right. Is he Greek? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, was there a, a slightly overweight, pasty Greek god? Because if so, then that's... that's I think there was a couple one. of them. That could be okay. us. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, Phil, why don't you tell people what movies we're talking about today? Yeah, so we're going to be going after the ending of the 2003's Matchstick Man. That's the one starring uh, Nicolas Cage. And also after the ending of The Lion King, Disney's animated classic. And we'll be covering our top ten films of 2018. Yes, it's uh, we were we were thinking we were going to start our new you know our new feature our new second half feature this week, but then it dawned on us we got one more year to cover, and that's 2018 because it finally oh, it finally ended. That's that's a loaded statement, um, <laughs> but uh, it finally yeah, ended, ended. Thank God, and uh, we uh, we got to cover our top ten films of 2018. So so we're going to do that today, and then next week we will finally start our new second half feature for the show, uh, which will be revealed then. But meantime, let's get into the movies, shall we, Phil? Yeah, let's get started. All right, go ahead and give us a breakdown of Matchstick Men. Okay, Matchstick Men from 2003 is based on a book by Eric Garcia, and it's directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, This one follows a con man called Roy Waller, played by Nicolas Cage. He has Tourette's and OCD, so you know Nicolas Cage is going to be really subtle with that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he runs cons with his partner and protege Frank Mercer, played by Sam Rockwell. And when he's doing a con, he's a lot more, all those things sort of get pushed to the side. But Roy starts seeing a psychiatrist called Dr. Klein, who gives Roy uh, some medication. The psychiatrist uh, then tells Roy that he's found Roy's 14-year-old daughter, Angela, played by Alison Lohman, and Roy and Alison meet. 
This rejuvenates Roy, and he agrees to work a long con with Frank as his confidence builds. Uh, but the timescale of the con has to be moved up. Uh, due to some problems, Roy sends Angela off with Frank to keep her safe from the police, and through various circumstances, things go wrong and Roy is knocked unconscious. He wakes in a hospital. Roy tells Dr. Klein that the password to his safety deposit box and tells him to give all the money to Angela. Then Roy falls into unconsciousness once more, and eventually he wakes later to find that the hospital is just a freight container. Dr. Klein's office is empty, and all of Roy's savings are gone. Roy realises that Frank has pulled a long, con on, a long con on him, and learns that he had no daughter at all. Angela was just Frank's accomplice. One year later, Roy is a salesman in a carpet shop. He sees Angela enter with her boyfriend. They talk. Roy forgives her, as he realises he is happier now as an honest man. And then Roy, we see Roy go home to his new wife, who is pregnant. And that's Matchstick Man. Very nicely done. That's a, it, was a, it was kind of a complicated plot, so you did a nice job of boiling it down succinctly. Yeah, I thought I'd just leave out all the actual con side of things, because that's always so difficult to explain. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Phil, how do you feel about Matchstick Men? I really like it. It's, uh, it's a, You forget it's a really Scott film, because it's not quite... It's not like one of the, the big things. It's, quite a, it's a small little story, just about a few people. It's... Nicholas Cage goes over the top, but it's one of his. I feel it's one of his better performances because it's sort of it's in keeping with the character. You got Sam Rockwell, Alison Lohman. It's a good, good character. I always like a con movie anyway, and it just uh, comes across well. And there's some nice twists and turns, and I like all the characters involved. Yeah. What about you? You know, I. I mean, we all know how I feel about Ridley Scott, but I, I don't think it's a bad film. I do like it. I will say, I don't. Yeah. I yeah. don't love it. I think part of the problem was. Um, for me, a lot of people told me, oh, you've got to see Matchstick Man. It's so great. And I watched it and I, I enjoyed it. But I, I kind of figured out what was going on really early on the film, which is not bragging because that, I am usually not that guy. Yeah, yeah. My wife always figures out who like who done it and always t says it out loud. And I'm like, well, thanks for that. I'm never the guy who figures stuff out. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the thing I had with The Prestige, the, the movie The Prestige, which um, we've talked yeah, about yeah, a few times yeah. where I sort of figured out what was going on too early. And that took away a little bit of my enjoyment for me. I just, it just sort of, I lucked into it. It wasn't like, a, like I said, I, I'm some Sherlock Holmes. But um, so I think that a lot of people who were like, oh, I, you know, the twist really got me. It was like, oh, okay, well, I wish I had had that reaction to it. But it's an enjoyable enough film. And I, I, you know, for Ridley Scott, it is a film that has a little bit of a sense of playfulness to it, which is very rare for him. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I give it a 42. I can dance to it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah excellent. You know. Yeah, I know what you mean. If you sort of, well, we have. I've just spoiled the, the, the <laughs> right, twist for well, people, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's I know what you mean. If you do sort of figure out those twists before they actually get revealed, you do spend the rest of the film going, "Oh, well, was that it?" Was right, that, right, yeah. exactly, but, uh, exactly. So, like I said, it's not because I'm some genius. I just got lucky on this one, and it sort of took away a little bit for me. But I, I like it. It's a fun enough film. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's what happened in the film, though, Mike. Uh, what do you see happening on the day after? Okay, well, seeing Angela again gets Roy thinking about Frank. While he's happy that Angela seems well and wishes her no ill will, Roy starts thinking about Frank and how much money he'd stolen from him. But Roy also doesn't want to upset the happy balance he's achieved at home with his wife Kathy and their unborn child. It starts keeping him up at night, and he can't make up his mind what to do. Until finally one day he reaches out to a distant family member, George Gondorf. George's grandfather, Henry Gondorf, <laughs> was one of the greatest con men in the business. And while oh, George lovely. himself always stays on the straight and narrow, Roy knows that George has forgotten more about the con game than most people ever learn in a lifetime. Roy sets up a meeting with George, and a couple days later, he's driving a few states over to meet up with him. And that's my day after. Oh my God, I'm so in. That's amazing. I didn't even think of doing like that. Oh, brilliant. 
Well, I, I, I could tell Love by it. your knowing chuckle that you caught the reference, but I will throw it yeah, out yeah. there for people who don't. Uh, Henry Gondorf was Paul Newman's character in The Sting. Uh, so you can see where I'm maybe going with this a little bit. Yes, The Sting, of course, one of the greatest con movies of all time and also one of the greatest movies of all time. Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, let, let's, hear, uh, let's hear your day after then. Okay. Frank sat in the bar sipping on the glass of whiskey he'd been nursing for the past few hours. His jaw still ached from the beatdown he'd had that morning. His heart ached with the loss of all his money. He would laugh if it didn't hurt so much. Looking around the bar, he raised his glass and made a toast. Here's to you, Roy. I've got nothing now, and I'm sorry for what I did to you. Ain't karma a bitch. The door opened and in walked two large men who made straight for Frank. Frank sighed and painfully turned to them. Guys, guys, can I get you a drink? He asked them. No, about that money I owed you. And that's my day after. Ah, so you're going to follow Frank then, I see. I like it. Yeah, I thought, I thought I'd leave Roy with his, uh, his, his happy life. Yeah, I, I like that. Well, that's, I, you know, I, I struggled with that because I didn't want to take him out of his happy life. But I, I honestly didn't think of following Frank. So well done, sir. Well done. Thank you very much. But I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening with you and, uh, and the sting. All right, here we go. Listen, Roy, I think you should forget the whole business, says George, as they sit down for lunch. I mean, you got a good life, a good wife, a kid on the way. Why do you want to get sucked back into all this? My grandfather always told me, know when to get out of the business, kid. But if you do want to get back into the business, there's really one guy you should talk to. And that's granddad's best friend, Johnny Hooker. <laughs> Johnny Hooker's still alive? Roy asks incredulously. Oh my God. <laughs> he, awesome. <laughs> he pulled off the greatest con of 1937. I don't believe it. Yep, George replies. He's 90-something now. Lives like a king over at a nursing home a couple towns over. Him and Grandpa were a hell of a team. If you really want to pull one last con and get out for good, he's the man to talk to. Roy takes Johnny Hooker's info and sets out for a meeting that he hopes will change his life. Oh, wow. Let's get Robert Redford out of retirement to, to do this film. <laughs> well, listen, he's about the right age for it now. So, yeah, I was thinking that, yeah. You know? Wow. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, dub, I deep dove into the sting. I figured if I'm, once I had the idea, I figured may as well just run with it, you know? Oh, definitely, yeah. Excellent. Thank you, thank you. All right, well, let's hear what's going on then with Frank in your immediate aftermath. Okay. Frank was running for his life. The sun was beating down on him, but he had to find somewhere to hide. The desert seemed to be laughing at him with its vast expanse of emptiness. The missing fingers on his left hand ached in a ghost-like way. That always happened when he was stressed out, and he thought back to the moment that the gangsters had cut them off two years before. Frank kept running, but he could hear the truck in the distance. He didn't have much time. That's my immediate aftermath. Oh, man, getting dark. Dang it, yeah. Frank, you got all that money from Roy. Why didn't you put some of it in savings? That's what I always say about he's, these con men. He's just an idiot. He's just an idiot. I know, it's true. He is. Okay, that's that. What's going on then with, uh, with your long term? All right, well... As Roy sits in front of Johnny Hooker, he's in awe. The man is a legend in the con world, so much so that half the grifters out there don't even believe he ever really existed. As Johnny regales Roy with tales of some of the great stings that he and Henry pulled, Roy finds himself sharing stories of his own life and realizes that nothing he ever did compared with what Johnny and Henry pulled off. Finally, Roy asks Johnny what he should do. Well, kid, I'll tell you. I never said no to a con. But I'll tell you something else. It was a lonely life. Always on the move, running from cops, staying one step ahead of the marks. Hell, Henry was my only friend, and when he died, I had no one. I was too old to settle down by then, so the last 20 years have been solitary ones. You ask me, you got a good thing going. Don't screw it up. Roy thinks about it for a few minutes and realizes that Johnny is right. He thanks him for his time, tells him how much he enjoyed talking to him, and promises to come back and visit him real soon. 
A couple days later, Roy is enjoying a calm breakfast with Kathy, and he sees in the obituaries that Johnny has passed. Roy feels a twinge of sadness, but also a moment of warmth as he reflects that the man had set him on the right path. As he looked out the window and waved to the mailman, he had no idea that in one of the envelopes that was just placed in his mailbox was a check from Johnny Hooker made out to Roy in the amount of $25 million. And that's the end. Oh, excellent. Oh, what a nice ending. I like it. Thank you. See, I wanted to keep I wanted to keep Roy on the straight and narrow, but I thought that, you know, Johnny Hooker probably had so much money from all the years and now he yeah. kind of found someone to pass it on to. So Oh, very nice. I like a little it. passing of the torch. Thank you. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Appreciate it. Well, let's hear what's going on with Frank if uh if he's gonna get out of this mess that he found himself in. So give us your okay. long term. Okay. Frank was lying in the prison hospital bed. Oh, the boy. doctor had stitched yeah, the doctor <laughs> had stitched him up after the stabbing, but it seemed he would need a new liver. Frank could feel every one of his 68 years. He was old, and he'd spent the past 12 years in prison. He'd never been able to catch a break. The last good time he could remember was having a beer with Roy. He missed Roy, and had regretted what he had done to his old friend and mentor. Looking down at his bruised and battered body, Frank sighed before saying, Calm as a bitch. That's my long term. (laughs) I like it. I think it makes sense. You know, Roy, I mean, uh, Frank seems like the kind of guy who... Just won't be able to stay out of trouble, you know? That's it, it, yeah. It clearly caught up with him. Just got worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Very nicely done, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Well, there you go. So that is Matchstick Men. Phil, do you have any Matchstick trivia for us? I do. It was uh, This was Ridley Scott's first film from Warner Brothers since Blade Runner. Wow. Okay. Uh, I know. For Alison Lohman's audition, she dressed and acted like a 14-year-old girl. Ridley Scott only realized her real age, which was 23 at the time, when she told him. A side note, I want to mention, I forgot to mention, you asked me what I think about the film. I really like Alison Lohman. I think she's an amazing actress. I don't know why she hasn't become bigger than she is. Yeah, because she did, uh, what was it, the... Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, Drag Me to Hell. She did Drag Me to Hell, which I liked. And she was in in the movie with um, Colin Firth and Kevin Bacon called Where the Truth Lies that no one's seen, I think, except for me, but it's really good. And she's terrific in it. I just think she's an excellent actress. I don't know why she hasn't gotten more attention. But I, mean, I know she works. She's yeah. a good working actress. I just well, I the, wish she the got last more. St- yeah, the last stuff she'd had was like from 2016 right. on IMDb. Yeah, so I don't know what yeah. that's about. But she's very talented. So, uh, yeah, Alison, get in touch. Tell us what you're up to. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, we'll have you on the show anytime, Alison. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anyway, continue uh, with the trip. Yes, yeah, uh, uh, raise pills uh, that take are actually Benadryl, which is an allergy medicine. And as I say, it was based on a book by Eric Garcia. Very cool. And that's uh, Matchstick Man. All right. Excellent. Well, let's move on then to a film that uh, I think maybe a few more people might have seen. Uh, it's one of the biggest box office hits of all time. It is, of course. remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, if you don't know what movie it is after hearing that, I don't think I can help you. But it is, of course, The oh. Lion King, Disney's <laughs> massive animated classic, the highest grossing animated film at the time it came out ever. Uh, so it was quite yes, a big yes, hit. Yes, yes, yes. And it was, uh, and they're doing a live action remake. And when it said live action, I'm doing air quotes there. Yes, right, because it's all computer generated. Yeah, yeah. I'm still not sure why they're calling it live action, but anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's an interesting one. But, uh, but Phil, I know that I obviously like the Disney films more than you. I think we've not, I shouldn't say I like them more than you, but I'm mo- more of a Disney fan yeah, yeah. Than, than you are in general. How do you feel about The Lion King? I do like The Lion King. I think it's, uh, it's extremely well made, you know, traditionally animated. On, on the main anyway and uh, it's a good story great characters funny some cracking songs yeah I like it and I've also I took uh, my daughter to see the stage version the musical stage version oh, and right. that was amazing as well that was, that's mind blowing when they all come out all the, all the cast doing all the animals and things it's just it just it works so well it just takes you to a different place yeah that's cool I haven't seen that so, yet but I understand it is quite yeah uh, it's, quite it's worth saying but uh, yeah I do like the film 
It's a good film. How about you? Is it one of your favorite Disney ones? Or it, it is honestly, it's 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 one of the top ones for me. Um, I remember when it came out, I went and saw it, you know, like opening night, and I loved it. And I remember like th- there wasn't a lot of other movies playing at the time, and I this is when I was going to the movies like a couple times a week, and and I remember that like the next couple of weekends, my buddy and I would be like, want to go to the movies? Like, sure. Like, look through the listings. Like, oh, there's nothing much playing. Lion King again? Like. Okay. And we just went and <laughs> yeah. saw it like two or three more times in the theater because it was just so good. You know, such a great film. Um, and I, I do think that it's, uh, yeah, I just think it's one of their best. You know, I think it just does everything right. Like you said, it's got good songs and I don't always go for the songs. So the characters are great. The voice cast is terrific. I mean, the animation is amazing, especially for the time. You know, it's just, uh, I just think it, it hits on all cylinders and really works exceptionally well. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, a yeah. pretty big fan of The Lion King. Yeah, it is, it is a good one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They they definitely got it right on that one. So there there are yeah. other Disney films that I like as much or maybe even more, but um, I don't know if there's many. <laughs> it's probably one of yeah. my favorites. Yeah, excellent. Well, do you want to give us a rundown of uh, the events of the film? Sure, I- I'll keep this pretty short because I think most people are pretty familiar with the story of the Lion King. But yeah. uh, Simba is the young Lion King born to King Mufasa and Queen Sarabi. They are aided by Zazu the bird and Rafiki the medicine monkey. Uh, He falls in love with Nala, but he gets Mufasa killed by his evil uncle Scar and his hyenas. Scar takes over the Pride Lands and runs it like Donald Trump, so it becomes a wasteland. Uh, Simba grows up and becomes... (laughs) A little bit of politics. I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing nothing at all. Uh, Simba grows up and becomes friends with Timon and Pumbaa, a warthog and a meerkat. And when Nala finds him, he comes back to the Pride Lands and saves it from Scar, killing him and running off the hyenas. And in the end, Simba and Nala give birth to their own child who will eventually, I assume, become the king or queen. Yeah. And that's The Lion King. Excellent. I like it. Yeah, pretty short. I I should point out now, there were a couple of direct-to-video sequels. There was like a Lion King one and a half, and now there's a a TV show, The Lion King, The Wild Guard, or something like that, that all take place after the film. We are ignoring all of those. Nothing against them. Uh, I'm sure they're perfectly fine. I think I've even seen a couple of the... The movies, and I, I think they were fairly enjoyable for being direct-to-video, but, you know, they're not canon. We're sticking with our events, you know, are solely based on the original film. Yes, and it's our show, and we can do whatever we goddamn like. <laughs> exactly, that too. I like that you choose during the Disney film to pull out the swear words, Phil. That's that's good. Uh, I like that. Oh, hot damn it, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey... Let's pick the movie, the one the one part of the show that kids might be listening to, and let's throw in a couple of good old-fashioned swear words there. But anyway, the thing about The Lion King is it's... <laughs> and another thing. And then... And that's what I think of The Lion King. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, why don't you go ahead and take us into your day after? Okay. So my day after. Simba and Nala introduce their cub, Keon Gozi. Uh, Keon for short. And Keon Gozi apparently... By going by Google Translate is Swahili for leader. That's why I chose it. Okay, I'm going to interrupt so, you real quickly and just say that I also picked a name yeah. that uh, I then lo- made sure actually meant something in Swahili as well. So I just think it's funny oh, we both awesome. took the time to, to do that. <laughs> yeah, because we do a lot of research. It's There's, there's months go into every oh, episode. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Oh, yeah, so much yeah. research. But anyway, okay, so uh, yeah. Simba and Nala introduced their cub, Keon Gozi, or Keon for short, to Pride Rock. All is back to normal with the circle of life now strongly in place. Simba and Nala celebrate later with Timon and Pumbaa and other friends. Simba still cannot get over how happy he is now that he is back with his family and friends. He misses his father, but he looks up at the night sky and sees a shooting star and he feels his father watching over him. When he turns away to return to the others, Simba fails to see that this shooting star, now burning with a strange green light, falls to the earth some distance from Pride Rock. Hmm. 
Elsewhere, the ruined, torn body of Scar, left for dead by the hyenas, twitches. The one good eye he has left slowly opens. Mm. And that's my day after. All right. I like it. I like it. I'm interested to see where this, uh, this shooting star thing is going. Yeah. Shooting star and the Scar. Yeah. Yeah. What's Crazy. What's going to happen? Okay. What's going on with your day after, though? All right. Well, all is well in the Pride Lands. Simba and Nala's cub, a young girl named Afria, which means born during happy times, Ooh, I like that. is a healthy and curious child. And while they're not getting much sleep with a newborn, both Simba and Nala are happy, which means the Pride Land is happy. You know what they say, happy lion, happy Pride Land. Yeah, that's classic. That's uh, <laughs> I've got that carved above the, the front door. <laughs> I've got the bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So occasionally Simba has to travel to the outskirts to step in when a group of hyenas gets too rambunctious. But ever since he made the hyenas an official part of the greater Pride Lands, there's been peace between the animal species. Then one day, a darkness settles in over the land. Clouds roll in and they grow darker with each passing day. Simba travels to Rafiki's home to consult the wise old monkey, but he's nowhere to be found. Returning home, puzzled, Simba asks Timon and Pumbaa to go in search of him. As the clouds grow darker, Simba worries that whatever's about to happen will be unstoppable without Rafiki's help. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Oh, dear. Yes, yes. Bad okay. stuff is afoot in the Pride Lands. Yes, yes, yes. All right, well, let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath then. Okay. Keon loved playing with the other cubs, but he knew he always had to find an excuse to leave them for a short while each day. It, it is what the voice told him to do if they were to continue talking. So Keon made sure that he did. The voice was never wrong. It knew so many things and had been teaching Keon how to be a good ruler for when he became king. Keon wanted to tell Simba and Nala about the voice, but the voice had said he must keep it a secret. The voice was always right. Keon made it to the Shadowland and the pool of sickly green light that made him feel both nauseous and energised at the same time. So glad you could make it, said the voice as Keon drank from the pool. And that's my immediate aftermath. Well, I have to tell you, sir, I do not approve of this voice at all. I do not care for its actions. Mm -hmm. So you better get this ship shape right quick. Well, it's, you know, it's the voice. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't care for it. No, sir. I don't like it. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Uh, but that's, uh, that's my immediate aftermath. What's going on with yours, then? All right. Well, Timon and Pumbaa set out in search of Rafiki. They enlist Zazu's help. Even though Zazu's kind of a pain in the butt, they know that his knowledge of the Pride Lands is second to none. He moans and complains the whole way, but they quickly make their way across the land looking for Rafiki. Meanwhile, Simba gathers all of the animal leaders and prepares them for the coming storm. The kingdom is in a panic. The storm clouds grow darker and fuller by the hour. Finally, as the sun is setting, Timon, Pumbaa, and Zazu return, and they're towing a gravely injured Rafiki. As the thunder booms and the lightning cracks, Zazu manages to reveal the truth. Sir, it's Scar! He's alive! Just then, the first drops of rain begin to fall. As Simba processes the news about Scar, the rain turns into a torrential downpour, and the winds start to howl. Before long, it's a full-blown hurricane. And that's my immediate aftermath. Okay. Mm. I see we both chose to bring Scar back. Yes, yes, yes. Not a big surprise, though, because he's such a great villain. Oh, no, he is, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Especially with uh, Jeremy Irons doing the voice. He's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to see what happens there. Likewise. Well, let's find out about yours, then. Let's hear how this uh, how this voice, whether it triumphs or not. So my long term. Simba and Nala hid in the cave. They were still in shock at finding the bodies of Timon and Pumbaa. What? So, what? So you can't do that. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, 
I didn't do it. But I don't care. I don't care for this ending at all. I'm just telling you. I know. I probably lost people. Even worse was the realization that their son, Keon, was the one who had killed them. Oh, dude. It's terrible, isn't it? This is yeah. Disney. Yeah, God damn I know, it, Disney. right? Disney. A little dark for a Disney film. Yeah. But it's, it's it fits for me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It had all started so well when Keon became king. But over the months that followed, a sickness had spread throughout the Pride Land, with Keon at the head of it. The younger lions all followed his lead of killing indiscriminately, often just leaving the bodies of the fallen to rot. There was no reason for any of it. Simba felt his many years. The last fight with one of Keon's lieutenants had been a close one, but Simba had won. However, both he and Nala were shocked at the strange green worm-like creatures that seemed to infect the young lion's corpse. What was that? said Nala, as she looked out of the cave. Someone's approaching. They listened and then heard a strange scraping sound and were shocked at the hideous sight at the entrance of the cave. An ancient lion, all twisted and thin, its fair with dull white, was being helped by Rafiki into the cave. They could tell that every movement of this twisted creature caused it pain. The old lion looked at Simba with his one good eye. Ah, nephew, so good to see you, said Scar. We need to do something about your son. And that's my long term. Oh, man. Well, that is, uh, that is dark. Dark. Thank you. That's impressive. That's what I was going for. Yeah, Thank no, you. I like it. I like it. It definitely yes. took it in a different direction than uh, than I would have, but <laughs> yes. very yeah. intense. It's when I had the idea. I thought I thought I had to go all in. No, I, I think. Listen, if you're going to do it, you got to commit to it. But I think you're going to like you said. I think you lost people when you killed Timon and Pumbaa. They are very well loved characters. Yeah, yeah. I can't really see this one. Disney maybe going for this one. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. It yeah. seems right up their yeah. alley. Mm, maybe you know but uh, maybe in a few years time yeah maybe you never know R-rated Disney movies are the way forward That's you never know you never know what the future holds <laughs> okay what's going on with yours what's happening with Scar in your, your uh, long term alright well as Simba, Timon, Pumbaa, Rafiki and Simba's family take shelter under Pride Rock Zazu reveals what happened Scar survived his fall in the attack by the, by the hyenas but just barely he limped off to the elephant graveyard to heal and now he lives there as some sort of half alive specter of his former self he kidnapped Rafiki and forced him to use his magic to summon the storm of the century. Scar says it will decimate the Pride Lands and kill everyone. Finally understanding, Simba says, I know what I have to do. Turning to Nala, he says, keep everyone safe until I get back. Then he runs out into the storm. Fighting the wind and the rain and the lightning, he runs to the top of Pride Rock. There he shouts, O oh, great King Mufasa, I call upon you and all of the kings who ruled before you. Help your lands in this time of need. In the cloud banks in the distance, Simba could see Mufasa's visage appear. Slowly, the faces of all the previous kings appeared behind him. You've done well, my son, Mufasa says. Then the kings fade from view. Suddenly, the wind changes direction, and within minutes, the storm has blown out of the Pride Lands. As Simba watches from the top of Pride Rock, he sees the clouds settle over the elephant graveyard. Before long, they formed a gigantic tornado, larger than any seen ever before. The Elephant Graveyard and Scar are wiped off the map in just minutes. With the danger past, Simba returns to his friends and family. It's over, he says, for good this time. Nala smiles at him, and Afreya playfully jumps on his mane and bites his ear. Life in the Pride Lands begins to return to normal. And that's the end. Oh, excellent. Well, a big epic ending as well. Thank you. Thank you. And slightly yeah. lighter than yours. Just a little. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Not, not too much, but slightly. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, mine's actually, you know, you could, as long as you throw a few, a few songs into it, it's going to be fine. Well, and here's the way I look at it. See, you left it open, right? Obviously, because Scar yeah, and, yeah. and Simba have to team up. So in my head, what happens is they team up and they find a way to defeat these alien creatures. And that also involves bringing everyone who died back to life. Okay, yeah. If you want to go with that, that's fine, yeah. Right, exactly. So in my head, there's going to be a happy ending eventually in yours. Yeah, that's just going to be, it's a, it's, we need to wait for the final part. Right, right, exactly. The third chapter of the trilogy, that's all. Yeah, which is it's which is all you know uh, rainbows and buttercups. That's right. That seems that seems likely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Phil, uh, I bl- I know that you are the trivia king, so why don't you give us some Lion King trivia? I approve that message. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, so the wildebeest stampede scene took Disney's CG department about three years to make. Holy cow! Because it was way back when you know it was still when this, the whole uh, computer generated graphics for you know animation things was still. In the early days. Yeah, yeah. Probably take about uh, three weeks nowadays. Yeah, yeah. It was the first Disney cartoon to be dubbed into Zulu for its African re- release. That's cool. Uh, James Earl Jones, who voiced Mufasa, and Madge Sinclair, who voiced Sorabi, were also king and queen in Coming to America. Oh, right. Uh, Frank Welker, who often does the voice of uh, Megatron in the Transformers cartoons and films, he provided all of the line roars. And not a single recording of an actual line was used. God, that's crazy. That guy's so talented. So that's uh, The Lion King. Very nicely done. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our, our films. Uh, let's move on then to our final for real installment of 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein Phil and I take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 films. Now, we had wrapped this up and we did all of our movies we missed. We did our top 20 films of all time back in episode 100. Um, but as another year has come to a close, 2018 came to an end. We've got to share our top 10 films uh, from 2018. So this is now going to become more of an annual feature because obviously at the end of every year, we'll recap our top 10 films from from the year. Uh, but 2018, I don't think we really need to remind people of what, what happened in 2018 since it just happened. Yes. yes. So... I guess we'll jump right into our top 10 films, right? Yeah, we might as well just uh, crack on with that. All right. Well, you want to kick us off, Phil? Okay. So my number 10 is uh, Annihilation, mm. which was uh, it's over here at, uh, I think it might have had a, was in theaters over on your side, but I think it just went straight to Netflix over here. But it's, this is the one, it's the adaptation of uh, a Jeff Vandermeer novel by Alex Garland, stars Natalie Portman, who goes to investigate the shimmer, this mystery, this strange area on Earth, which seems to have been infected by something alien and she goes in with a few other people and investigates this bizarre thing and it turns out things are getting fused and mixed up and everything and it's uh i i know some people didn't like it but i quite i really enjoyed this it's a bit it's a quite a i don't say bleak but it's more it's basically dealing with depression and the way people deal with loss and change and but it all wrapped up in the science fiction thing because good i always feel good sci-fi films often are dealing with real world issues and and all of the people involved uh, have lost something or are going to lose themselves. And it's it's just, it's a, it's a very dreamlike kind of thing. You're never quite sure what exactly is going on. It's quite uh, scary in places as well, especially with this with this weird bear, which has like a, which screams like a woman. It has this, uh, one of the characters, she disappears and it's stolen her scream somehow. But uh, yeah, I really liked it. And I like the fact it's, uh, it, I, I kept thinking about it for a good few weeks afterwards. That's my number 10. All right. Interesting. Interesting choice. I, I didn't, entirely dislike the film um I, I thought the first three quarters of it was pretty good but i really hated the ending yeah, yeah. uh it's one of those movies to me where the ending just made no sense whatsoever and so that kind of took away from my enjoyment of the film because it was like well i just sat through all that 
interesting setup for literally zero payoff. And I know that other people have a different opinion, but yeah, it's one of those ones where the ending's like open for various interpretation and or whatever. But yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know, sometimes I just don't want to interpret. I just want to watch a movie yeah, and have yeah, things be handed yeah. to me. What can I say? Yeah. Tell me the stuff. <laughs> exactly. All right, good pick, though. Uh, my number 10 is a film that uh, didn't do particularly well, but I, 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 and I don't know that I actually thought it was going to make my top 10 list, but then when I was going through the, the films of the year, it, it did. So it's Tully, uh, starring Charlize Theron. Uh, also oh, yes, with, I've, I've never, haven't got around to seeing this one. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, it's got Mackenzie Davis, who's terrific in it, and Ron Livingston. It was, it was directed by Jason Reitman and written by Diablo Cody, and that's the same team that did Juno. Yeah, which I like, yeah. Which, as we know, isn't one of my favorite films. But um, this one's interesting. It's about a woman who basically, you know, she's a mom, she kind of needs a break, and she they hire this, like, sort of nanny-type lady who teaches this, you know, character, Charlize Theron's character to sort of, you know, be freer. And it's it's interesting. There's there's more going on in the film than people think. I think it was a hard film to market because it's definitely a, a deeper film than people expect. It is sort of a dramedy, um, but there is kind of another layer to it. I don't want to say anything about it because I don't want to spoil anything about the film. I, I feel I'm, like... I'm aware of what it is you're talking about, but yeah, I... I, I yeah. Right. So, um, you know, so I, I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's a really good film. I will say this as you're watching it. There are some moments towards the end, especially where it feels like a betrayal of the characters. And you're kind of like, oh, I don't like that. Why would they do that? And then it, it all gets explained by the end. Um, so which isn't terribly, you know, enticing to make people want to watch it. But it's a good movie. It's really <laughs> great performances. I like where the story goes. Um, and I think it was a little scene film that that. I think more people should see. So definitely worth tracking down. It's Tully, uh, and that's my number 10. Okay, good choice, though. Uh, my number nine is uh, Roma, or Roma, by written and directed by Alfonso Qu Cuaron. Apologies if that's not how you pronounce your name, Alfonso. <laughs> but this is the one that came out near the end of 2018. It was, uh, again, it was in some cinemas, but then played on Netflix. But it's uh, shot in black and white, and it's semi-autobiographical uh, take on Alfonso Cuaron's life in Mexico City, and I just thought this was an amazing, I thought it was a beautiful film. It's just going through the life of a few people in uh, Mexico City, mainly following this this housekeeper for a middle-class family, and the events that go on in and around with the family and the city and the population at large. But I just thought it was, a, it's a beautiful film, well acted, Not, nothing major happens, but we're just following these characters as they go along. Uh, but the main thing that got me was just how beautifully shot it is. It's all black and white, and it's, it's the the way the camera moves. It's like it's almost like like you're an alien from another planet, and you're just you're just watching it. The camera just moves. It's constantly moving around slowly around what's going on, and sometimes the camera starts moving, and you're wondering why. It's like an empty room, and then somebody somebody walks out of the door, and it just follows that, and the camera can move around as well in one in one take, and it's following someone around, and then suddenly it's down the street and into a shop, and as it turns around, you see this this all this action going on the streets outside it's just it's just a it's just brilliant lesson in, in cinematography and making a film it's just i just i was blown away some of the stuff though often i was it took you out of the story itself a little bit because i was just following the the way you know the scene was put together and the way the camera moved just thought it was just absolutely stunning yeah it's my number nine very good pick i haven't watched it yet even though it is on netflix uh it just i just haven't gotten around to it so uh, i should do yeah. that and maybe it'll Maybe you'll end up on the list. Uh, yeah. Good choice. Thank you very much. All right, good. Well, my number nine is another movie that didn't do well at the box office, and I, I think it's going to surprise some people that even made my list, but it is Hunter Killer, uh, which stars oh, yeah, yeah, Gerard yeah. Butler and Gary Oldman and Common, um, and uh, it's a submarine 
action movie, which I had extremely low expectations for. Um, but I like that kind of movie in general, so I, you know, I thought I'd, I thought I'd watch it. And I have to say, I really loved it. I mean, I think it's honestly the closest we've had to like a, a Tom Clancy style Hunt for October type movie in a long time. And what's nice about it is there's sort of two <coughs> concurrent storylines: one on the submarine, and one involving the SEAL team, uh, led by Toby Stevens, who's a complete badass in this movie. And the SEAL team action really gives it another dimension. So it's not just a bunch of people in a tin can underwater for two hours. There's a whole another sort of, you know, behind enemy lines type action story going on that's really good. And what I liked about this movie was it's a good story. It's got, you know, echoes of like a Hunt for October type of storyline, although it's different than that. But the action is really good. You know, the on land action is, is really top notch and exciting. The submarine action is, is tense and thrilling. I think the special effects are pretty good. Uh, Gerard Butler who I like, uh, but he's he's good in this role. I think playing like a, like a sub commander military guy is come you know comes naturally to him. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, at the end of it, I was just really impressed by it. It was just a really good action thriller. We haven't seen a good submarine movie in God knows how many years. Uh, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a cinematic masterpiece or anything. But I sat there for two hours and I was completely enthralled by it from start to finish. And, you know, sometimes that's really all you can ask for. So Hunter Killer, it was kind of a bomb at the box office, but it's really worth tracking down if you want to see a good action film. Hey, well, yeah, good to know because I, I do like a submarine movie and I, I I quite like the look of the trailer for this one, to be honest. But uh, I, I missed it when it came out. I mean, ever, everybody did, yeah. Yeah, it just came and went at the cinema. But I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's worth watching for sure. Okay, my number... Eight is uh, First Reformed, written and directed by Paul Schrader, stars Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried. It's it's following Ethan Hawke, who's uh, who's playing a priest of uh, of the First Reformed Church in New York. Uh, he's been, uh, I think he was like a chaplain in the army as well, but it's following him there, and Amanda Seyfried's character asks him to speak to her boyfriend who's having problems with life. So he goes, Ethan Hawke is, is writing this diary as well, because he's having... He's having a crisis of faith and things like this, and it's uh, he goes to talk to this guy. Things happen. He's he, oh yeah, and he's struggling with the death of his son, uh, who was killed in Iraq in the Iraq War, and it's uh, he's obviously got lots going on, and he's just he can't he's, it's he can't really cope with it, but he's trying the best he can, and it's just it's a it's like a character study of him, and it's 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 well acted, it's well shot, it's a small story again, but it keeps it keeps drawing you along, and it's it's describing it. It doesn't really sound like something. You know, you'd be going, well, where's, what's, what's, why should I watch this? But it's just, the performances are just amazing. Especially Ethan Hawke is just fantastic in it. It's, I, I really liked it. And just Ethan Hawke's performance was just uh, incredible. All right, very good. Well, my number eight is a tie uh, between two thrillers. Uh, the first one is Searching, and the second one is Bad Samaritan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Searching stars John Cho, and it's um, it's one of these films that's, it's not the first one, but one of the first ones where it's, the entire movie is told through, uh, computer interfaces, basically, like chat windows, video chats, phone calls, internet searches, news footage, stuff like that. That's how the whole movie is told, which sounds like a gimmick. Um, but I got to be honest, it works so well in this movie. Uh, John Cho's terrific performance is terrific. And what's really impressive is how well this story manages to both create characters that you care about and also create a compelling mystery uh, all within this framework of all these different 
internet windows. You know, uh, basically it's okay. about a, a father searching for his missing teenage daughter. Um, and the, the, the film builds up a great story, really develops the characters, even though you don't have any traditionally set scenes. It's, it's utterly fantastic. And the other one is Bad Samaritan, which I absolutely loved. It's got uh, David Tennant in it, and he plays uh, basically like a serial killer. And a guy kind of comes across the fact that he's a serial killer, but he is also a crook. So he's trying to stop him without <laughs> getting himself in trouble. Um, but of course, David Tennant is just, you know, five steps ahead of him. He's basically a genius. And it is just terrific to watch. It is tense. It's a nail biter. It's it's deliciously fun, like watching this poor guy trying to, you know, get ahead of this, like almost like Hannibal Lecter type madman genius. And it's really great. I mean, if you just like a good thriller, which is one of my favorite genres, I can't recommend Bad Samaritan enough or sh- or Searching for that matter. They're they're both utterly terrific films. Brilliant. Good good to know. Uh, yeah, I like the trailer for that Bad Samaritan one. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh, it's really fun. Uh, excellent pick. Okay, my number seven is uh, it's an Indonesian uh, neo-noir action thriller crime drama. That's what it's described as online. Okay. Yeah, so who might argue with that? But it's uh, The Night Comes for Us, which again was another one which uh, I saw on Netflix. Thank God for Netflix and all these things, but all the <laughs> streaming services are available. Right. He stars Iko Uai. Is that how you pronounce his name? I believe from so. The Raid. Something like that. He was from The Raid. He's great as well. And stars Joe Taslim. But this one, it's following, we, we learn of the six elite enforcers for the South East Asian triad known as the Six Seas. And we're following one of them who who realizes that he, uh, he sort of, he doesn't want to do what he's doing anymore. And he wants to save this child. And he's basically being hunted down by all these, these people who are all highly trained killers and he, he meets up with some old friends to try and save this girl and it's just it's amazing it just the story just keeps on chugging along and the fight scenes just keep on coming and they get bigger and bigger more wilder and people there's like a few people have gimmicks like wires that can slice through fingers and stuff like that and there's just there's so much blood there's so much breaking of bones there's so much violence it's just incredible if you want to see him and a great beat him up it's just a crime thriller with so many cool fights it's this one. It just it just blew me away watching it. I just kept going, oh my God, how are they going to top this fight? And then lo and behold, he topped the fight with the next one. But uh, that's uh, that's my number seven. The night comes for us. I like that kind of movie, so I'll definitely check yeah. it out. All right, my number seven is, it's a three-way tie, but I think it'll become pretty apparent as to why. It is, and I'll keep this short because they're all pretty obvious. It's Avengers Infinity War, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, they're Marvel movies. They're all fantastic. I like them all. Um, I'll say this, my only thing. Yeah, I know everyone thinks the Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse is like the greatest thing ever, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, a lot of people are saying it's the best Spider-Man movie yet, and I still think Spider-Man: Homecoming is better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think partly I know people are like, why didn't it Spider-Verse make it number one on your pick? Well, I liked it; it was really good. But I'd take Homecoming over it any day still. Um, I know I'm not always in the majority on that opinion, but um, they're all three great Marvel movies. They're all a lot of fun, and this is sort of where they ended up on my list. I like it. Glad that Ant-Man and the Wasp got mentioned as well, because I did like that. Yeah, I didn't thought that was a lot of fun. One, but I, I do like that one. I, I always feel the like Ant-Man films are like a, sort of like a sorbet. They clear the palette after right. the intense events of the previous films, and uh, Paul Rudd's just amazing. Exactly. Okay, my number six is a, it's a small film. It's from Blumhouse, which are doing some great things. It's written and directed by Lee Wannell and stars Logan Marshall Green, who's the guy who isn't Tom Hardy, and it's Upgrade. <laughs> Yeah, good choice, uh, which, good choice. Which I, I just, I love the hell out of this one. This was amazing. This is the one where... A guy's in a car crash, his wife dies, and he's left a, a paraplegic. But then he's approached by this this rich kind of guy, Elon Musk kind of character, I suppose, who's got this chip which will he can put in his spine, which will 
helped him move and then it's the chip starts talking to him and starts moving and it's just great it's just the character's trying to find out what happened why his wife was killed what caused the car crash so it's a mystery he's like being a detective stuff and he's he's going along in a wheelchair and then when he gets threatened by the bad guys the chip talks to him goes uh says ah, i'll take over now and then he's just these fight scenes happen and and Logan Marshall and Green's character, he's just going, he's not in control and he's just, has. The, I love the fact he's beating people up and he's got this look of horror on his face as he's beating them up going, I'm sorry, it's not me, but you should, should have just told me. It's just, the fight scenes are dynamic. It's a good detective story and it's, I like the way it ends as well. But uh, Upgrade was lots of fun. Uh, it's a good sci-fi thriller and worth checking out if you haven't already seen it. Yeah, I really liked Upgrade actually. It didn't make my top ten list, but it, it it was it was close. It was a it's a really good fun sci-fi thriller. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, my number six answers the question: What happens if they finally make the Transformers movie that fans have been waiting for and nobody can? <laughs> Uh, it is yeah. Bumblebee, yeah. which I really, really liked. Uh, I have to say, I took my kids, my twin 11-year-olds, to see it, neither one of which was terribly excited to go see it, but it was like post-Christmas, and we kind of needed something to do, so I took them to see it, and they loved it, both of them, both my son and my daughter. My son claims it's now his favorite movie of all time. Um, I won't go that high, but I really enjoyed it. First of all, the first like five minutes is everything every old-school Transformers fan has ever wanted to see. Uh, and it, it, it's the classic looking Transformers on Cybertron. It's amazing. Uh, and then the film just really, it's, it's like the Transformers movie you've wanted. It's like a small story. It's one Transformer coming to Earth, befriending a human, trying to stop the bad guys. You know, um, uh, Haley Steinfeld is terrific. You know, the film takes place in the 80s. It's got a great soundtrack and some, some fun 80s throwback references. It's got good characters. And it's just a fun movie from start to finish. It's just terrific. So if you're a Transformers fan and you either either you like the Michael Bay films, but you got tired of them, or you don't like the Michael Bay films, either way, watch Bumblebee. You'll really enjoy it. Oh, excellent. Yeah, this is one I I wanted to see this one. It was, I, hadn't, I almost got to see it so many times. Yeah. But, you know, like either with my daughter or friends and stuff, but it never quite happened. Right. But I kept hearing good things about it and everybody's... And even from the trailer, it just looked like a proper Transformers film, whereas the others sort of never quite did for me. Right, exactly. But uh, I'm, 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 glad it, uh, I'm glad it's good. Yes, very but, good. Uh, very enjoyable. Okay, so my number five is uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Very good. Yes, I don't really need to say too much about this, but it's Tom Cruise, you know, almost killing himself again, <laughs> which I think is one of the reasons lots of people like watching these films now. But uh, I, I've... I like all the Mission Impossible films, apart from number two. We don't talk about that piece of crap. <laughs> exactly. But uh, this this one, it's yeah, the action scenes just keep going. But it's all the action scenes just are part of the story. They're not just there for the sake of it. It just keeps following along, and he's just trying to track down, do the things he's got to do, save the world. I also like the fact this one and the previous two are being a bit more of a cohesive storyline. What things that happen in previous ones and characters, they do move on and link into these things and and like that and yeah it's just great action i i really enjoyed it and it's probably going to be worth uh, a few rewatches as well just to go oh my god they're really doing that and it's uh, it's my number five very good pick you know i for some reason it didn't make my top 10 and i don't know why i did really enjoy it yeah yeah it just it just kind of didn't make the cut that's fair enough i thought 2018 was kind of a weird year for me to be honest with you my my, my first my top three were all pretty solid. Like those are my three favorite films, and everything else in my top ten could have been in any order whatsoever. Like there, there, it was a weird year in that I kind of felt like everything was an equal level of enjoyment, basically. Do you know what I mean? So I know what you mean. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. It twenty eighteen was a really good year for movies. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was but it wasn't like there, there was, was a shortage of films for me that I was like, oh my god, I loved that. It was more yeah. like. 
a whole bunch of films that I really liked, but only a couple, like something like my top three, where I was like, that is like, yeah, holy cow. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a good way of putting it. There was lots of, lots of above average films, but only a few which were like amazing, but lots of, lots of quality films. So you was, we, I think we were spoiled for choice and we sort of forget how, how lucky we are sometimes with the films we get. Right. All right, cool. My number five is uh, maybe a controversial pick. I don't know, but it is Ready Player One. Um, by Steven Spielberg based on the novel by Ernest Cline Uh, I've been a fan of this book since the day it came out I've been championing it for people anywhere I could get them to to read it I would tell them to read it and I I loved the movie I I was apprehensive about it because I love the book so much but I thought that the movie really captured the spirit of the book and here's what I noticed because I'm sure some people are groaning because they didn't like the movie but here's what I noticed everyone I talked to who read the book within the past year of the movie coming out didn't like the movie and anybody I talked to who hadn't who had read the book but not in a while really liked the movie. And I think it's because there's so many details in the book. And when they're fresh in your mind, you just see on the movie screen everything that was missing from it. Yeah, yeah. But when it's not fresh in your mind, like it wasn't for me because I hadn't read the book in a few years, I just remembered the overarching story and I remembered the the spirit of the story. And that's why I loved the movie. I didn't sit there watching the movie going, well, they left this out. Well, they left this out. Oh, well, they changed this. And I think that's what people did who watched the movie more recently. I'm not saying everyone who didn't like the movie you know yeah. that you can not like the I movie. See, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved the movie. I thought it was so much fun. I think Spielberg really did a good job of bringing the book to life, even if the minutia is different. So uh, I was really excited for Ready Player One to be so enjoyable for me. So that's why it's my number five. No, it's a good pick. I, I saw it. I read the book a few years back. It was okay for me. All right. I didn't love it, but uh, it looked amazing. Uh, some of the some of the scenes, some of the scenes, I was going, "Wow, this is incredible." Uh, I just. I felt a bit overloaded by it all, I think was a problem for me. Interesting. Okay, my number four, which is one which I don't think will be on your list in the slightest, <laughs> is uh, is Mandy. Oh, God. No. <laughs> oh, God. No. Yeah, this one's directed by uh, directed by Panos Cosmatos and stars Nicolas Cage and Andy Riceborough and Linus Roach. And I, I really love this film. Oi. I thought it was amazing. It's uh, it's it's a hard one to describe, but it's basically is it is it hard like to a... describe? I can describe it for you. So there's about an yeah, hour yeah. of dreamlike acid trip, and then there's about forty five minutes of just pure bloody violence. That's pretty much the movie. Yeah, and that's what I liked about it. Ugh. It's a dream. It's a dream that turns into a nightmare. It's basically we follow Nicolas Cage, who's in love with Mandy, Andrew Riceborough's character, and the first half hour or so is showing their relationship, how much they love each other, and all these things. It's beautiful dreamlike quality to it all and she gets taken by this this cult this weird cult uh bad things happen and things get dark and nicholas cage has got this scene where he goes peak nicholas cage where he's in this bathroom with no trousers on and just goes full cage yeah and it's a thing of it's either it's either a thing of pure beauty and incredibleness or a moment where you're going what the hell is this crap <laughs> depending on how you feel but uh, it goes on from there, and he, Nicolas Cage's character takes this weird kind of LSD, and then things get really trippy and weird. There's chainsaw fights, weird things going on in a possible morgue or chemist shop, and you're never quite sure what it is, but it's uh, I really liked it because the fact it is just so trippy and weird and strange. I really liked it, and it's my number four. Okay, well, that, you guessed right. Not on my not on my list. I did see it. Uh, I did not. I did not care for it. Yeah. All right, very good. Well, my number four is uh, a film that is a little more grounded in reality, we'll say. Uh, it is Green Book. 
starring Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. That's only just come out over here. So oh, okay. I haven't had a chance to see that yet. So. Right, right, right. Um, I know it. Uh, I know it's got some controversy surrounding it now because the the family, one of the main characters, disputes the events and blah blah blah. I know. So okay, so it's a Hollywood film that's based on real life that isn't a hundred percent accurate. Okay, but I don't care. As a movie goes, uh, I found it really enjoyable. You know, it's about this, uh, you know, famous black musician who goes on a tour of the South back in the 1960s, I believe, and this uh, very crude white Italian driver who uh, is chauffeurs him around. And of course, you know, uh, you know, they are clashing from different worlds, but they gain an appreciation for each other. It's a very, I think, um, some would say cliched, others might say time-honored yeah, story. Yeah. Um, but I'll say this, Vigo Mortensen's performance is absolutely astounding. He, he completely transforms himself into this character. And Mahershala Ali, who is just, a, I mean, an utterly fantastic actor and has been one of my favorites for a long time, he's excellent as well. Uh, the story does have some good social kind of commentary in it. Yeah. And it might be hackneyed, it might be cliched. I don't care. I enjoyed the movie. I felt good watching it. It made me cry at the end. What the hell more do I need? Excellent. Yeah, I do want to see it. And sometimes, just because it's a cliche, doesn't make it a bad thing. No, no, I agree. I agree. And in this case, it, I, in this case, it didn't. I, I think it worked well, even though I, you kind of knew where it was going and you knew where where things were heading. And you know, there wasn't anything all that unpredictable about it. But I loved it anyway. Uh, good choice. Yeah, I can't wait to see that one. Okay, my number three is one you've already mentioned. It's Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Like you, it's not the greatest spy, uh, Spider Man film that's been made because I think Homecoming is pretty, pretty damn up there but I, I still thought it was an excellent film uh, really did it was nice seeing Miles Morales I loved the whole I went to see it with the friends Lucky and Beth uh, they all loved it as well the three of us just were just transfixed by it all because it just it's the main thing about it is just the style of it it's an animated film but it's it's got so many different animation styles in it's just it, it messes with things it has the thought but the way it does everything it's very funny the way they do the characters I love the way every different Spider-Man we see from the, the multiverse has a little bit okay this is my story and it has like a quick rundown of things which I, I thought was really good and you get to know all the characters in a nice simple way uh still not sure about the design for Kingpin but yeah. anyway apart from that it's uh it's just it's so dynamic so so engrossing and just it, it was a good story good characters but it was it's the visuals for me which just uh lifted it up to the next level it was nice to see a spider-man that i could relate to in the form of the one who was you know, sometimes in his, his apartment, eating too much pizza, he's got a bit of a <laughs> right, belly. Right, yep. And sometimes he's just he's crying himself to sleep because yep. life hasn't gone the way he wanted. But yep. uh, yeah, it's like it's 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 got a Spider-Man for all of us, is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. And I never thought I'd see Spider-Ham, a huge big <laughs> yeah. Hollywood yeah. blockbuster, and uh, a most enjoyable film, which made me laugh and looked looked absolutely beautiful and amazing. That's my number three. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that. Like I said, I did really, really enjoy it. I, I know I, because at my number seven, people are going to think I didn't like it that much, but I did. It was yeah. one of my top ten films of the year. I mean, I loved it. You know, just yeah. uh, I like Spider-Man Homecoming better. All right, well, my number three is A Quiet Place, uh, which I have to say was one of the most amazing theater experiences I've ever had in my life. And, uh, and I watched it on home video, and I still really liked it on home video, but it wasn't the same as watching it in the theater. You know, uh, for those of you who haven't seen the film, it's very quiet. There are just extended moments of silence in this film, and it is so incredibly tense. And when I saw it in the theater in a packed house on opening night, nobody like moved, nobody breathed, nobody made a sound. People didn't even eat their popcorn or their snacks because you couldn't make a sound because the entire theater was silent. And it was just mind blowing. It was such a great experience. I will I will never forget that. Uh, I mean, I've had some good movie theater experiences before, but this is probably my favorite. 
Um, it was just amazing. And so I do, like I said, I do think it works still well on video. It's a great film, real good emotional punch, good performances, great thrills. Uh, I do recommend you turn off all the lights, don't get any snacks out, you know, make sure the kids are in bed, you know, and, and watch the movie in as much silence as you can, because it's, it's astounding and it's just so much fun. And I'm really glad it was the big hit that it was. So A Quiet Place is my number three. Oh, excellent. I'm glad it made your list. Didn't make my list, but I think it's because of the reasons why you, you, you said, I didn't see it at the cinema. I saw it on uh, Blu-ray. Right. Right. And it's just, it's just not quite the same. It's I can imagine seeing that, seeing that with, especially because haven't been to cinema in America as well. It's it's American audiences seem to get into films a lot more. There's a lot more interactions, the wrong word, but the kind of that response kind of thing. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen it in like a, a packed packed cinema with everybody just being quiet, you know, engrossed in the film. Like, yeah, I could see why that would really lift it to the next level. Yeah, until until something happened and people screamed and it was yeah, just and that just yeah, made it even yeah. better, you know. Oh, it was, oh, I can imagine that'd be brilliant. It was amazing. Some, some, ta- some some films in a cinema just it, yeah, it's it is it's a whole different experience. Yeah, and this is one of them. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I made your list. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Uh, my number two then is a Spike Lee film. It's Black Klansman. Good choice. Which uh which I thought was just absolutely brilliant and I can't believe how funny it was as well. I didn't think a film about a black man infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan would be as funny as it is, but it's incredibly funny as well. But and it's uh, it's got a, John David Washington as the main character is just phenomenal. Adam Driver just every time I see me better. Laura Harrier, Topher Grace, uh, well, Topher Grace is sleazy as hell for the character, yeah. but it's just so good. And the, the rest of the supporting cast is brilliant. The way it's done, the way the story develops, and you're just watching it going, this this is a true story. Oh, my God, how can this be true? It also reminds you of how dreadful some humans can be. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, an amazing, amazing film and well worth all the nominations and things like that. I just can't believe John David Washington wasn't nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't understand that. Yeah. I'm really glad that yeah. Adam Driver got nominated. Uh, I thought yeah. he was terrific uh, for supporting actor. But I don't I, I thought John David Washington's performance was the performance of the year. And I don't understand the yeah, fact that yeah. he didn't even get nominated. It blows my mind. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I don't I don't buy into Oscar snubs all that much because I think sometimes things just aren't as deserving. Yeah, but yeah. Just, I, just in this case, I really do felt like feel like he got snubbed. Yeah. But it's uh, it's good. It's got it's had six uh, nominations for the Oscars, so that's nice. Yes. Including one yes. best director for Lee, his first one yeah. for Spike Lee. Yeah, that's good. But that's my number two. Very good. All right, well, my number two is a film that I saw, and uh, I think that's about it. No, <laughs> um, okay. it disappeared from the box office very quickly. It is Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I think is just I don't know. I think it's just the kind of movie that's a hard sell nowadays because it, you can't tell too much about it without giving stuff away but then people don't know what it's about so they don't want to go and see it the the marketing just kind of kept showing you know seven strangers showing up at a hotel and you never really got a sense of what the film was about and i had really no real expectations for it but i went and saw it in the theaters and i was blown away by it it's written and directed by drew goddard uh, who brought us Cabin in the Woods, which is also terrific. What's interesting is that in a film that has a cast that includes Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Dakota Johnson, Chris Hemsworth, you know, Nick Offerman, that the two best performances by far were by mostly completely unknown actors. Um, <laughs> Lewis Pullman, who's actually Bill Pullman's son. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cynthia Erivo, who I had to look her up. It turns out she's, I guess, a big Broadway star, uh, which makes sense because she has to sing some in this movie. But her performance is just phenomenal. And honestly, this is a movie, I mean, she should have gotten an Oscar nomination too, but I just think the movie just didn't get 
any consideration whatsoever. But basically, it's seven people showing up at this hotel. Um, you know, it's kind of an odd time period. You sort of looks like maybe like the 60s, early 70s. And you don't really know how any of them are connected or if they're connected or what they're doing there or what's going on. And it's one of those movies that sort of unveils its secrets slowly. But it's it's just utterly captivating and gripping and thrilling right from the start. And it's got humor and it's got suspense and it's got action and great characters and just amazing performances. I mean, there isn't a bad performance in the bunch. Even Jeff Bridges, who I think tends to phone it in a lot nowadays Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or just sort of kind of play the same type of character. Like even he, I thought, really dug into his role, you know? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, it's good to know. It's just a really fun, fun movie that I nobody saw it, and it's a real shame because I absolutely loved it. So really do yourself a favor and track it down. It's Bad Times at the El Royale, and it is just utterly fantastic. Yeah, okay, cool. I'll, I will, because I missed, again, I missed that in the cinema. Yeah, well, it was only in cinemas for about six minutes, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, good, though. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely give that a watch. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, my number one is one you've already mentioned, and it is Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah, just be cool. I'm a big comic book fan. Love, I love all the Marvel movies, and I just thought this one, after te- 10 years, has been building up to this, and the fact they managed to do it so well with all these different characters, and then spend most of our time with Thanos, it was just incredible. I mean, Thanos, they made Thanos this... We, we, we learned all about him. It was basically his film. We're following him doing his mission. And we end up feeling... You almost feel sorry for the guy. You can see what, is, what he's doing this for, even though it is twisted and wrong. Just supremely well acted. The, see, uh, the special effects, just phenomenal. Every, everybody involved is just, just doing amazing things. And just... just it was the culmination of, te- of this story, which has been going on for 10 years. And it's still not... It's still not ended... And it's just, I just thought it was amazing. It blew me away. I've watched it many times since. And I just i just love watching it over and over again. I'm a big fan of it. And I love it. And it's my number one. Excellent choice. Yes. Can't argue with that. Thank you very much. All right. Well, my number one has appeared on your list as well. Uh, and it just yes. appeared on your list. It is Black Klansman. I thought it might be that one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. God, it's so good. I just. I, it is, isn't it? Yes. It's yes. so good. Like, you, I mean, everything you said about it. It's, it's how, how could it be that funny? And yet that dramatic at the same time. And then just the ending, like you said, is so powerful. Um, but and, and John David Washington's performance is one for the ages. I still can't get over the fact that he didn't get nominated for an Oscar. But, you know, Spike Lee movies have been hit or miss for me. There's some of his films that I really like. Yeah, same with me. Yeah. Uh, and there's some films of his that I didn't like or I just didn't even care to see that much because they didn't look very interesting. This one I was interested in, um, but I don't know that I expected anything miraculous out of it. I think I just thought, oh, this might be a good, you know, a good film. And just from the start, I was engrossed in it, and I, I loved it. The performances are amazing. The story is amazing. The humor is great, and you know, but at the same time, you're shocked by some of what pe- these people are saying and doing. Yeah, you know, it's a movie with a great message that's never preachy, and I just I loved it so much. And you know, the minute I saw it when I finished it, I said, "Okay, this is my favorite film of the of the year so far. It's definitely gonna be my top ten. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it never wavered from that number one spot. It just nothing came along you know, before or since that I thought was better in 2018. It's it's just fantastic. So that's my number yeah, one, Black Klansman. Got to see it. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I watched it, I uh, didn't see it at the cinema, but I watched it around a defense place with a, there was four of us watching it. We had a, just had something to eat. And we decided to put it on and we were thinking, oh, this could be a bit heavy, but we'd had good things. Put it on. We sat there watching it. And yeah, we were laughing. We were gasping. Yeah, just, yeah. I, every now and again, one was go, what the hell? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, but no, it's just all of us were engrossed in it, and we all just thought it was amazing. Yeah, but, uh, really fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely one of the best films of last year. That, without a doubt. All right, well, there you go. Excellent. So, it's, yeah, good list there, yeah. and they're quite different as well from on the mic. Yeah, yeah, actually, a couple a couple crossovers, but for the most part, two two very different lists. So, 
Uh, That's what makes it interesting, I think. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, that is our top 10 films of 2018, and that is our episode. We finally made it through an episode in 2019. Hooray. Oh, my God. We finally did it. (laughs) We we can now go back to our sick beds. That's right. (laughs) Uh, But before we do that, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week? Yeah. Next time, we're going to be going after the ending of Kevin Costner's classic. Yes, sort of. Uh, Yeah, one of his big budget films, which didn't do that well at the time, but it is Waterworld. So if you want to see a world that's full of water and what happened next, join us next time. And the other one is Thank You for Smoking, which is a great little indie comedy drama, which is uh, very good. Yes, indeed. And we are going to finally debut our new uh, 100 years of Hollywood and 100 episodes. Uh, it's going to be something a little bit different, but it'll be a new feature that we're going to have fun with. Uh, so we're going to debut that and we will uh, announce what it's going to be next week. So you'll have to come back and listen and see what we're going to do for our next 100 episodes. Yeah, you'll come back now, you hear? <laughs> That's very convincingly Southern sounding, Phil. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, then it's time for us to skedaddle. Uh, so uh, we're going to get out of here before this devolves into some sort of southern fried podcast I don't know what's going on right now yeah. apologies to people yeah to anybody listening in general really. yeah. just in general yeah <laughs> apologies apologies if you've been offended in any way by this podcast right right there was no offense intended exactly and that's going to do us for now so as always we thank you greatly for listening I'm Mike Spring and I'm Phil Edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending if the past holds true, we should be uh, plenty, uh, what do you call it? Um, I, I don't know. What do you call it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plenty blooperific today because, oh, yeah. we, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll probably be a little rusty. So Yeah, I think there'll probably be lots of coughing and sneezing and blowing of noses as well. Yeah, oh, I know. That'll This will be a fun one to edit. <laughs> <coughs> well, there we go. Yeah. Wait. Laughing makes me cough. Yeah, yeah, me too. So that'll be that's gonna be fun to edit every time we laugh at something. Then being like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. So, so the start of we sound normal by the end of it. We don't be talking like this. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, that was actually a laugh. It just came out as a cough. So. <laughs> Jesus, I thought you'd been possessed. No, no. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Oh, it's a blowing a nose party. <laughs> if you're listening to this on the bloopers and you want to blow your nose, join us now. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah, during the break as well, I was trying to work out how to do a Nicolas Cage impression. I know, I really can't do it. I, I do the Nicolas Cage impression on this yeah, show, remember? I, I know, it's really good. Yeah. I'm jealous. I, I guess it's only like two words. It's my Nicolas Cage's Superman impression. Do it, do it. Okay. Well, Lois. Damn it. <coughs> that was Nicolas Cage. just came in just to cough. He does it all the time. See? that's your, It's your impression of Nicolas Cage is of him yeah. coughing. And who can argue with that? Got a cold, Phil. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> I've got a cold. <laughs> in the cloud banks in the distance, Simba can see Mufasa's visage. Visa- yeah. In the cloud banks in the distance, Simba can see Mufasa's visage. Fear. <laughs> you throw in an SAT word, and all of a sudden, your whole sentence goes to hell. Yeah. In the cloud banks in the distance, Simba can see Mufasa's visage slowly appear. I didn't want to say slowly though. One more time. <laughs> Your uh, your impression of a lion's roar needs some work, Phil. Oh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>